0: It's always fascinating to hear stories of CEOs that have transformed completely the organization then expanded their growth to a different level. That's what happened to Alain Bejani, the former CEO of Majid Al-Futahim in Dubai. He was a CEO for eight years until January 2023 and he really transformed the company for digitalization e-commerce and more so essentially it's been a massive radical transformation to the company to the culture to grow exponentially also during one of the major crises in history that was COVID so stay with me Alan is a very famous a popular um, senior leaders in the Middle East but not only there so he's been also featured in many books so that's a episode for you Enjoy it because we're going to go deeper on culture change and transformation Hi, everyone. Welcome back to a new episode of the World Class Leader Show. Today, I'm so honored to have with me uh, Alain Bijani. Alan is a Lebanese business executive and he's been the CEO of the Majid Al-Futaim group, a very important international conglomerate with ventures in shopping mall, ownership operation, hotel ownership, retail stores, leisure, entertainment centers, and mixed-use residential communities, headquarters in the UAE. So if you went, as you, I'm sure you did, to Dubai, definitely you have been in some of these malls. And the company had operation Middle East and Africa. So he served as a CEO, Alain, from February 2015 until January 2023. So now he's relaxing and taking this time off to think about his next step. And I going to Ask him a little bit more, a little bit later. But a little bit more background about Alan. So he was born in Beirut, 1973. He studied law in Paris, and after he graduated, he worked as a lawyer, which is interesting in Lebanon and the United Arab Emirates. And then he joined Majid Al Futtaim Group, where we move up the ranks until he became CEO. And he was an important contributor to the success to the growth of the organization, including expansion to India and China. So. Alan, thanks for being me in the show today.
1: Thank you, uh, Andre. I'm, I'm I'm very happy to uh, to be with you. Thank you for hosting me, and uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation.
0: Wonderful, and you know, I've been. I have to be. I have to be honest. i I've, I've, I've been trying, or at least wanting to interview for many months because i mean you have been by the way you created you built such an incredible presence as well on linkedin and you know you have been a very important linkedin voice and you are still are, of course an important linkedin top voice so i always found your post very insightful by the way which is not so common especially from ceos that tend sometimes to to bring always the good news about the corporates and the financials so i got a different view from you and. And for you audience to hear, um, what's the link with Alain, which is quite interesting, because I interviewed a few months ago, the brilliant Caroline Dewar from McKinsey, that she wrote an incredible book called The SEO Excellence. So, you know, identify identified the six mindset of top performing CEOs. And that was a great conversation. We operate the same space. So for us was, you know, music for my ears. And then that is a great conf- coincidence. We got... Alen, he was interviewed by Karel. So Alen, is that right? Alen, you were part essentially of the creation, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. And and I was very honored to uh, to be interviewed by Caroline Scott and Vikram Malhotra, and uh, they they actually worked very hard on what I believe to be one of the best books written about what makes a successful CEO. They they wanted to identify. Whatever, whoever they consider as a successful CEO, and they have done, I think, interviewed a thousand people or more. Yes. Uh, that actually, what distinguished those people? What's the mindsets that animate them? That basically makes them tick, and how do they go about things? So uh, I, I was surprised, and and of course very honored, and and, and pleased to be part of uh, ending up being part of the book. They, I think, they brought it down to about sixty-three. Yes. Uh, CEOs that really believe had something that distinguished the way they go they, they go about things and they were able to identify the those famous six mindsets so the book was actually launched i mean finished and was launched sometime in if I'm not mistaken in the mid 2022 yes and continues to be uh, an excellent read for CEOs but also for senior executives
0: yeah, it's great. And by the way, just for you to know, but now I need to spoiler to everyone. So I'm writing my own book about the CEOs, but also thanks oh, to nice. the interview. So there will be hopefully an additional um, resources to Carolyn's book uh, for CEOs as a guide, them, you know, for for creating the new future where we see right now. So that's brilliant. Um, I have a couple. Of, I mean, I have a lots of questions, really, Alan. But I would like to start with one question about. What does it mean being a lawyer, you know, from it from an yeah. educational standpoint and then become a CEO of a large retail firm? I mean, sometimes we feel like you know, lawyers or um people with a financial background, they tend to have their own career path. They get to CFOs, chief legal officer, or they especially with lawyers, they tend to go at some point to law firms. How for you was critical having studied law then to become a successful CEO? Or do you see any sort of link with that? I mean, look,
1: I don't believe there is one ideal path. Mm. Naturally, you have to be business-minded and people yes. that are business-minded could be lawyers, engineers, uh, finance graduate, or anything else. Uh, in my case, and I'm, I'm really here to share my experience, I think the, the legal education uh, uh, served me a lot, helped me a lot in, uh, in my career across the board, but also as, uh, as a CEO, it structures your, your mind in a certain way. And in life, generally, we continuously deal with uh, legal aspects in anything we are doing. So being, I would say, uh, familiar with the law is something that is very helpful Mm. Uh, because it guides you, you tend to understand better. You tend to, 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 you tend to think ahead in terms of structuring uh, what you are, uh, what you're about to do, uh, and also, of course, you have to be very much uh, business minded and also financially astute. Uh, that's something that's that's critical as well. But this is not something that is exclusive to a, a typical, I would say, a typical formation. The other way around, I would say, is more difficult. People usually people that are financially astute. Uh, uh, they are, I would say, they find it difficult to understand legal concepts or to really be of familiar course. Course. in a legalistic environment, which which uh, uh, which that which hinders them from being able to make the the right call and sometimes to actually take measured uh, and informed risks. And that is something as a CEO you always need to do. You, you know the 80-20 rule. I mean, you, you always need to or very often need to act within a certain level of uncertainty, and that uncertainty uh, uh, could actually hinder your action if you are unable to actually pierce through that veil. I would say that uh, the ignorance of uh, of the legal system and the complications of the legal system uh, right. uh, put you in.
0: Makes sense. Um, <clears throat> so let's shift a little bit gear. So you know you became a ceo in 2015 so yes. and uh, you've been in a company as far as i recall almost 10 years before getting to the to the role so you've been a yes. long lasting employee of course executive and then ceo what do you think has been the key for your career progression to become a ceo you know if you look back at your career what do you think has been you know, one or two factors that really made a difference. Besides, of course, it could be luck, it could be opportunities, of course, but, you know, it could be a good learning for the listeners. So, you know, there are so many people, by the way, in this audience, they are aspiring CEOs, people that want to become yes. a CEO, they want to understand how to go there, and they understand, you know, the, the role of CEO is limited. There are very few roles available. It's not like many other roles, right? So what's some lesson? Absolutely.
1: There is certainly luck and opportunity, because you know there is, uh, there are it's a finite amount of CEO's roles that are available. Yeah. Uh, so that's one. Two, uh, uh, I would say if I had to think back, I think uh, the most important part is how to be ready for the next move. Mm. And you know, people tend to think about career progression in general, and then I'll get back to the CEO. In particular, career progression is a reward for past achievements. Uh, The way I see it is actually not that at all. If you are great at what you do as a CEO, I would want you to stay where you are and continue to do very well for the organization and for the business. But when you are very good at what you do and when you are ready for the next move, this is when you actually become eligible to move to move to uh, to a more senior role, whether it's a senior executive role or whether it's a CEO, so people have to see in you that you are the person for the next phase of the organization, whether it, whatever, whatever is that next phase going to be mm. going to be made of. And I think this is really what tilted the scales in my case to become the CEO of uh, of the company I was in at the time. Uh, it's my readiness to To for the, for the next phase, the vision that I have for the organization and my ability to turn that vision into reality, uh, and I think really these are the things that matter, mm-hmm. because the stakeholders in general, whether they are the shareholders or whether they are the board, uh, when they think about the person they want to basically entrust with the future of the company, uh, they think would that person be the right the right individual at in the right place for the few years for the few years to come, and the ability to look forward to project the organization yourself forward is something that is extremely important. Uh, and people have to see that in you. If people don't see that in you, they will never have the trust and the confidence to actually to actually say, "Okay, this is this keys, is the most right? precious to give yeah. you the keys and yes. and ask you to uh, to take them forward." I think. This, for me, is what I believe to be the most important factor. There are also, of course, other factors that are important. People have to trust you. People have to trust your judgment. People have to trust your abilities. But these are all things that I take for granted. For any for any yes. senior role, for any significant uh, role, uh, these these uh, all these matters have to be there.
0: Right. So it's really important. So again, besides of you know considering lack opportunity as they are so opportunities it you said a lot about being ready feel ready but also to share and give the enroll people in a better future that you have for the organization so they can start saying okay this is the person that we need to bring us to where we would like to be because he has this visionary future driven mentality is that right it's a good summary of absolutely well, wow, that's brilliant. Absolutely. And then you, you you did. I mean, you then became a CEO in 2015 and uh, you really helped, you know, the firm to expand globally to grow, you know, generally speaking to grow massively. And maybe going back to the learning on to the lessons that you share with Carol in your book, if you still remember, of course, but what has been in your opinion the keys, uh, you know, again for other CEOs now they're listening to the to our conversation and say okay i want to replicate his success i want to bring the same level of of success that he brought what do i need to do so maybe let's start with some numbers you know what is how can we demonstrate growth in you know in majid al-futaim so people can relate to the scale of the growth that you have them and, and maybe then also share two or three major lessons or takeaways from what you did in order to get there
1: So there are, I would say, organizations go through different phases in their lives. And it's very important to understand the mandate. What are you here to do and what actually matters for the business going forward? And to make sure that you rally the stakeholders, but also the organization behind you. Uh, I am a transformational CEO. I mean, the reason why I was appointed in the role at the time is is because the company needed a transformation for it to be fit for purpose going forward. Right. So I, I, I was very lucky to, and, and, and privileged to actually lead Majid Al-Futain, but that was a very successful company already. It was yes. a pioneering company, it was a company that brought, I would say to a large extent, retail to, to, to the Middle Eastern region, but also to Africa and and, and uh, Southeast Asia. And we had already a lot of successes. And that is something that actually creates usually a, a certain level of complacency, because it works, you're doing well, why do you need to change? Why do you need to transform? And of course, if you remember 2015 onwards, we were going very quickly in the digital in digital disruption. We're going in the era of digital. We are going into uh, the era of uh, what I used to call, there were tectonic shifts that are happening. Uh, one related to digital transformation and technology, but the other one related to experience. And we were moving from, I would say, d- decades long, Uh, of a word that was driven primarily by the supply chain and your ability to drive success, to drive growth was driven primarily by mastering your supply chain. And the the customer was changing very rapidly because of technology, Mm -hmm. because of Mm -hmm. digital. And uh, finally, the power was shifting to the customer and not anymore to your strategy or not anymore to the organization itself. So the customer was deciding where do they want to shop? What do they want to do? They were able to shop from anywhere in the world because we were really living and continue to live in a really globalized world. So it was very important to basically work on two things that were extremely important. One is the digital transformation, harnessing technology, and turning an organization into a technology company in reality, and two, Mm -hmm. making sure that you do that through a groundbreaking uh, uh, customer experience that will always set the bar for the industries that we were in. And these were the priorities, as well as, of course, looking at the organization at large and how do we actually uh, federate our, the capabilities of the organization. This naturally requ- required a lot of investments because uh, you know that these are investments that you do for the long term. You don't reap their benefits immediately. You need to invest in people, you need to invest in leadership, you need to invest in capabilities. And typically, it's a long-winded cycle for things to uh, to start to basically uh, bear fruits. Uh, and it was very important to make sure that we had the right leadership, that we had the right mindset in the organization to accept the transformation that was coming. Because people right. were at the time more into saying, yes, this is maybe happening, but it's not going to happen to us, it's going to happen to others.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, being defensive or resistant to the level of exactly. change, the scale of change, it was I because
1: evident. naturally the change on the outside was so fast. With the rise of Amazon, with the rise of you know all the disruption, disruptor companies that were that were there with Uber and so on, where people were starting to say that in reality the undertone was uh, people were asking themselves, am, "Am I am I relevant going forward?" Okay, if this is happening, I need to protect my job. These are these technologies are coming; they're going to take over our jobs and so on and so forth. Which is so now a very similar important conversation for
0: artificial intelligence, right? So exactly. think about what's exactly. going on right now,
1: exactly. And it was important to make sure to, for people to understand that technologies and digital digital dimension is there to actually support you do better. And the, the way I say it is, human beings. Leaders are there to actually fulfill a role, and technology is there to do a job so it actually liberates us from the day to day from the chores that we have to do because technology would do that the machines would do it for us but we have to play a role that actually only us can play and this is really what leadership is all about going forward so this was primarily I would say my uh, my mission to 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 Fit for purpose, the organization going forward. Of course, you you ha- also have to make sure that you continue to grow your bottom line, continue to grow your top line. Especially when you are a retail business, you need to you need to make sure that you continue to gain market share and continue you continue to grow your profitability. While you are doing all of these investments, and while you are, uh, uh, you have to play at, at different dimensions. And this was a very trans- quite a heavy transitional. Period between a typical brick and mortar organization that was doing very well to learning what are the skills of the future and the capabilities, accepting those and and really making the best out of them and mutate into a technology driven company that has the ability to harness the technologies of the future and and to make sure that we not just satisfy the customer but actually delight the customer and this is why. Our vision was to create great moments for everyone every day at Majd al-Futem, and I hope it will continue to be the case for decades to come. After
0: yeah, that. yeah. It, it makes absolutely sense what you're saying. I'll uh, come back a little bit later on the break more than what happened with COVID, of course, but be- before that... I'm very curious, how did you bring people along your journey? Because you said it before, right? So it's a major transformation that could be even perceived as a turnaround to some extent, although it's not. But that level of high level of transform- transformation, and we do know by experience, you know, people, you know, they have, you know, quite reluctant to change because it affects their personal needs or personal situation and status and so forth. What was the key to mobilize people around the new future that you have created? What worked and maybe what didn't work, but I'm curious about the people element of that. So I
1: would say first, you have to be clear about the vision that Mm. you are trying to communicate. You have to make sure that you are uh, able to actually tell the story for change in a clear and compelling way. So communication is very important. Two, you have to create a burning platform. And in organizations that are successful, it's very difficult to create a burning platform because yes. people are not people are comfortable that nothing is at risk. Where as long as at the at the I would say first horizon, things are fine. Uh, so, so that actually strengthened the resistance to change. Some people resist because they generally do not believe anything should be changed because it's working. Some people uh, resist because they, they fear that the change is gonna is gonna in a way uh, question their existence or question the way they do things. As as you said, it it actually creates a lot of anxiety uh, uh, for people. And this is why I think leading yourself is the most important part of leadership. Not leading others, not leading organization, not leading change. Leading yourself in. I would say, uh, the trans, trans, transitional area is, is one of the, more hard, the the hardest way, the hardest, I would say, form of leadership. Because uh, when we look at ourselves, when we put up the mirror, okay this is where we are usually the most complacent. Yes. Uh, we, we, we see much clearer what needs to be done with others. We see much clearer uh, what others should be doing. But how we have to change is something that is, is, is most difficult and requires uh, quite some leadership. And getting people to really understand that and making them not only hear, but also understand and believe that my value to the organization is not driven by what I know, what I have already accomplished, but my value to the organization is primarily driven by my ability to learn in order to partake in in, in basically bringing forward the organization into the future, this is actually really my my balance sheet. This is really the strongest part of my contribution as a leader to an organization. And here when I say leader, I do not mean the senior people in the organization. Mm. For me, everyone is a leader, whether you are leading yourself, you are leading a team, you are leading a business, or you are leading change, everyone is a leader. So getting people to really acknowledge that they are leaders, that the future is done by them is created by them it's not some no one's going to come and tell them and hand them over what the future is going to be like is something that's extremely important so i would say communication is very important to uh, 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 so having a compelling story communicating it creating the burning platform and also making sure that the organization change is something that actually opens new opportunities new avenues and actually. Uh, Is rewarding to those who are who are on board. And as you may know, to change, you need my formula. Is that you have to flood an organization. When you come from a very deeply rooted brick and mortar organization where things are done in a certain way, there is a strong culture. You have to work on the culture of the organization as well. In order to, I would say, change the liquid ambient okay the ambient sorry, the, the ambient liquid that we have that we are all kind of you know uh, uh, living in and for us to, un- to 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 be able to see uh, that uh, continue to do what got us to where we are is not one, what's going to take us forward and how can we be be part of that now as a ceo you have to also walk the talk it's not enough to just talk you have to walk the talk and you have to make the hard decisions and the hardest decisions are, I would say, primarily about people. So you have to be very clear that whoever is not on board cannot continue to be on board. So you may, you have to make the hardest choices, uh, on people reward. Those who basically are contributing and may get rid of those who are not willing to actually contribute. So people understand that this is not the joke. This is not the, the flavor of the day. This is really a direction. And the other thing that, in my opinion, is is also uh, extremely important is to make sure as a CEO that you are reallocating capital in the right way, whether it's human capital or whether it is, uh, it is nominal capital. You have to make sure that you are putting, uh, I would say, you are putting your money where your mouth is Mm-hmm. You can't ask people to, to 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 do X, Y, and Z. You can't tell them we're going to fly to the moon and get them bicycles. You have to invest in technology. You have to invest in whatever is going to, to really take you further. And people see that this is actually serious. Okay, and this is basically the, the, the trend going forward. And naturally, you're accountable for that. If it works, great. If it doesn't work, you're accountable for it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is the commitment. In... It sounds like to me, it's very comprehensive approach about transformation in a few words. So transformational leadership, because you mentioned communication, but you started with a very clear, compelling message. You touch on, uh, resistance change, you touch on as well on, uh, the last point that you made in terms of culture, culture, then is it becomes an enabler or potentially a, um a, a limiting opportunity for fact, a, a disabler, yes, a disabler yes. exactly for, for organization to grow. And one thing I, something that I do in my own, my own life, my own practice with clients, with CEOs and their teams is this idea of, of making people change, but just because we say so, it's not reliable. It's not the way how it works, right? Because the only way for people to really change their action is by changing their perception about the world. Until they don't see a different things, they will get stuck with their own way of doing things. So, you know, they might say yes by compliance. They will say, yes, I'll do it. But in the reality, there is no clear commitment because they haven't changed their perspective about things. So it sounds like, you know, you touch on all the right codes. The other thing, uh, it's more a question. So you mentioned about culture, you know, most of, to be, you know, to be honest, most of the transformational works the CEOs do, it's at the end of the day, it's about culture. You know, either because they are changing some specific behaviors they don't want to. So, for example, they can make an organization more entrepreneurial, more technological, or, or they might change other different behaviors. But at the end of the day, my personal experience, there is no way to transform an organization if you don't touch culture. So how was your experience of changing, turning this culture for an organization that was already stable, stable, solid, was really get used to a world of this. So give me some ideas how you approach cultural change and something that works just for, for us to, to get a little bit more insights.
1: So uh, I would say that uh, culture is at the base of everything. And in my case, uh, it was a story of good to great. Nothing right. was broken. It was really a story from good to great. Right. But the good that we had was not going to be as good as it was in a more challenging world, in a more disruptive world, in a, in a world that was evolving the way, the way it turned out to be evolving. So it was very important that we embrace that very early on and and do it. And it was it, by the way,
0: uh, Alan uh, Sorry to interrupt. Was it clear mm-hmm. to the organization that whatever was becoming predictable was not accepted anymore as as good as it was before? Was it clear in the organization? Yes. And the so level of the it urgency? was,
1: and this is and, and this is where usually you have the stress between why suddenly what was good is not good enough.
0: Right. Right.
1: So and this is where I think leaders have a big role to play and specifically CEO is to communicate and articulate that this is it, it, this is not about us becoming more difficult it's about really adapting to where we are going and 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 explaining clearly why what was great until yesterday okay is not enough today and is, is going to be way way below the expectations of tomorrow or after tomorrow. I think that's very important. Right. But usually in organization, you see that the grassroots understands it. Mm. You see that the grassroots really get it because they are they are at the call face. They are facing the customers. They are dealing with you know, the external yes. world and so on and so forth. Then you have the top layer, and this is under the CEO, what I call the crust of anything, right. the permafrost on top. And this is where people have strong views and people have the most at stake. And this is where you start to have that uh, that uh, difference of opinion sometimes and, and so on, and the resistance. So you have to be very clear about how to go about it. Uh, 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 I would say uh, clear in terms of explaining And showing the way for people. But when someone does not want to actually contribute to the effort, you also have to, there has to be consequence management. If there is no consequence management, you cannot change any organization. It's very important to have consequence management.
0: You made some tough decisions in terms of getting rid of people that were not making change. Of
1: course, of course. You have to get rid of people that are simply. They cannot, get, sometimes in good faith, they can't get themselves to really understand yeah. why they have to change. It's not, it's not ill, uh, ill intended. And sometimes, uh, they have, uh, they prioritize their own interest, their own way of things, things they own, uh, uh, I would say, uh,
0: It's a self interest right? in, in a way, selfish interest as, uh, yeah, as, yeah. as you
1: say about, uh, about things. So Moving the organization with you is is extremely important, and showing people what you are doing, transparency is extremely important for people to really understand. We were here, we got here, and this is these are the challenges that you are facing. How can we? How are we going to go about it? And people feel that they are accompanying you on the journey. It's not about yes. I said so; it has to happen. Yes. It's really it's really about making sure that you create ambassadors of change or change makers in the organization people feel empowered and all of that as, as as you said needs to be done through working on culture making sure that we are turning the culture to become an enabling culture and not allowing the culture to become a disabling culture because at the end of the day what is culture an organization culture what is it is the sum of the non-written i would say behaviors okay yes. that people <laughs> practice in an environment they set uh, they set they set non written rules and these rules tend to actually govern the way people do things yes we've got pnp's that say so yes we have a manual that says that yes we have etc but in reality this is how we do things here i'm sure this is something that you hear it when you visit in any organization and uh, and the people that are listening to us now I'm sure they also hear it on the, this is not not how we do things here. This is not how we go about
0: it. And And normally there is a strong uh, differentiation between what they are really, how they're really working and what the system and process say. Exactly.
1: Exactly. 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 So, so it's very important to make sure that working on that culture Is happening in a continuous way, and you know the way I used to say it to 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 my people at the time was, you know, working on culture is like personal hygiene. Mm. This is not an initiative. This is not a project. This is a lifelong, continuous effort. This is like you know showering every day. Uh, We can't say to each other, uh, I'm, "I'm I'm clean. I showered last week or last month." You shower today, you're clean, and then. The day after or in the evening, you, you will shower again. You're not going to say, I showered yesterday. Why am I showering again today? This is like personal hygiene. You know, you brush your teeth. You, you don't say, I brushed my teeth last month. And working on culture is something that is in the, same, uh, in the same vein. It is a continuous effort. Everyone has to own culture because you have to continuously make sure that you shape the culture of the organization in the right way. You cannot buy a culture. Culture is something that you develop. And because it's something that you develop, the only thing you can do about culture is to shape it. You can't say, our culture now is going to move from here to here. You have to shape it for it to go there. You shape it by influencing the behaviors of people and by getting people to understand how their individual behaviors have an impact on the culture of the organization. A lot of people would come to you and tell you why things are not working. A lot of people would come and tell you why they are facing obstacles or etc. But what people will not always see is how their own their own behaviors are shaping that reality, that culture. Yes. So we need to take people from feeling that they are part, they are part of the problem to actually become part of the solution. Yes. When you are part of the problem, you don't feel it. But when you are part of the solution, you actually feel it. So moving people from being part of the solution is something that is extremely important. And for people to ask themselves, how am I helping the situation rather than how am I complaining about the situation?
0: And that that requires though a very high level of self-awareness in people. So people, they must really realize what are their own behavior that could be considered toxic or they could be the right one for the future. So that's why culture change, it takes time. But just because first of all, as you brilliantly said, it takes time because and then it's a continuous you know keeping the new culture alive but also because it does require a level of uncomfortable with operating in new behaviors which is very personal first before looking at organizational behavior yes it's distinct but one is forming the other Um, and the other thing i really like what you said before i like the point that you said you know the front line the grassroots are ready to embrace change and most of the time where you really see potential bottlenecks, it's a happier happier level where these people, because then it's the time when you get the battle of power at play, you know, the status gets in, the ego gets in. And it's very interesting because sometimes CEOs, I think they are misinterpreting that cultural change because they're looking for, we need to change things, you know, on the front line, but we are okay here, you know, this feeling. (laughs) Yeah, so, yes. yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> that's why that's terrible feeling. It also creates a sort of bubble for the leaders really, really working isolation in bubbles as if they are and just pointing fingers and they think they are better than others. So I'm yes. glad that you said that. The last thing I would say, I don't want to spend too much time here, but then COVID hits, And then, I mean, I see, given the transformation that was already going in Majid Al, al- for time. I actually see COVID potentially as an accelerator because you're already transitioning into an online world and, you know, retailing in a different way, not anymore rely on, on brick and mortar. But still, you have the malls there. So how was for you, I mean, no, I don't want to spend too much time here, but how was your, how challenging was, you know, COVID comparing, you know, the new strategy, but also the fact that you had malls there? COVID was
1: to a large extent, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, in a way, in a way, a blessing. Uh, 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 of course, sadly so. Uh, but as always, there is there is so many opportunities in a crisis. In March twenty twenty, it was very clear to us that the world is moving in a direction that we've never known, and we are going to face things that we really have never imagined. Yes. Although we were very disciplined in terms of you know, business continuity, how do we make sure that whatever happens, we, 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 our operations continue undisrupted and so on and so, but we never thought that the world was going to shut down. Yeah. You think about a war, you think about natural disaster, you think about you know stuff like that, but you don't think that the whole world's going to shut down. People are stuck at home but they can't move anymore and so on and so forth. So in the last 10 days of March, we had to really shift the organization. And we did in 10 days, I think, what we couldn't have done in two years because everyone was hands on deck. People got it. The sense of urgency, the burning platform, we didn't need to create it. It was there. It was already there,
0: yes.
1: Exactly. And and we absolutely needed to to act and to act fast. So this is why I would say it was was a living example of uh, opportunity hidden in in crisis. There's always uh, uh, opportunity in crisis. And it helps you move things that you wouldn't be able – in a way that you wouldn't have been able to move them in the normal, I would say, yes. in the normal, yes. in the, yes. uh, normal, uh, uh, I would say, in the normal world. So, so, so that was that. Two, we we realized in COVID how much the investments that we had done in the past five years helped us to be ready to actually amplify our digital presence. We already had the digital presence. We already had the infrastructure for that. We already had the understanding of what it means. Our businesses, all of them, were working for a few years then to actually be as, as I would say, uh, as uh, uh, prominent digitally mm-hmm. as they were physically. So yeah. our strategy was very clear. We cannot say this is a target in digital. We have to be as prominent digitally as we are physically. In every aspect, that means. Of course, it takes time, it takes years, it takes investment, it takes capabilities, but we were already engaged on that way. So that helped us a lot. And we were able to, to, to service our customers uh, in the safety of their homes, okay? And because our people at the time, the mafers were able to actually really shift and, and they have done what I think, I mean, I couldn't be prouder of the work that was done then in order yeah. to make sure that we, we keep the business going. And some of our businesses were essential businesses. Grocery retail suddenly was a very boring business, suddenly became the, the, the hottest <laughs> business <laughs> yeah. uh, and so on and so forth. You remember the time. Uh, Malls were becoming very important because you had pharmacies that were there. You had grocery stores that needed to continue to be open and so on and so, on and so forth. And then, of course, things recovered uh, with time. So we we realized that actually the bet that you have taken on uh, f- on on becoming fit for purpose for the future was actually the right bet, and mm-hmm. the future came back came much faster to us because because of COVID. accelerated.
0: At the end of the day, exactly. it was an accelerator on the that's Exactly.
1: And despite that, despite that some of our business, like our cinema business, for example, was totally shut down, our malls were shut down, or largely shut down, the stores in the malls were shut down, and so on. And in 2020, we, we were able to actually generate about a billion dollars of EBITDA, uh, uh, which was which was fantastic, and that's, that's something I'm very, very proud of. Of course, as a real estate business, there is a part of it that is part of your performance that is driven by the value of your assets and so on, but that is driven by the markets. You can't do much about it in a, in, a, in a world where there were no transactions and people were starting to wonder if commercial assets and mods, et cetera, have a future or not. But things recovered 2021, 2022 and continue to recover now. And we recovered all of this value and built on it. But operationally, commercially and operationally, that was the year where we actually uh, we actually uh, made money and, uh, and continued to serve our shareholders at the time and, and our stakeholders at large in the best possible way, serve our community um, and so on and so forth. So a huge learning, huge learning opportunity, huge learning experience, ability to shift the organization very, very fast and basically help us as a great foundation uh, going forward.
0: And I like, I really liked what you said earlier that I do agree when there is a burning platform, there is such an incredible opportunity to drive sense of urgency in making changes, and where you don't have it, unfortunately, complacency might get in, so it will be more difficult to make changes when it's needed. So, and it's, it's fascinating how organizations are able, when there is a burning platform, to organize themselves and to achieve breakthrough performance they never achieved yes. before, which is quite Absolutely. interesting, right? Absolutely. Uh, and, and, and and as a
1: leader, you see you see how people step up.
0: Yes. You yes. see
1: how leaders really emerge. In, in per- time of crisis, people don't ask for permission; they just they just move and they emerge, and you see leadership emerging in in a very different way.
0: What a wonderful condition, right? To to have Absolutely. to achieve breakthrough performance. I think that the the, the 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 lesson is how can organization can achieve breakthrough performance without always having a burning platform platform, you know, under their feet. We, that that is really a question, but that is for another episode. Which which is really part of my, my works, you know, performance. Okay. So last real question I have for you in the last 10 minutes that we have available is I'm curious about, so we sp- we spoke a lot about, you know, what transformation, your journey, the success, the challenge that you had, what people don't know about you as a CEO. So, I mean, there are a lot of misconceptions, a lot of assumptions or assertion about the life of a CEO, but, you know what really keeps you know a CEO awake at night. You know besides the strategic challenge that you said. You know how can I get my mall now back on track or whatever. What are more at the personal leadership level? What are the things that people don't necessarily understand about about being a CEO?
1: I would say there are two facets. There is one facet which is how people see you, and I right. think it's very important for a CEO to be. I would say exactly the same. In, right, you know, at work in your work environment as you are in in your personal environment. Yes, I think people who actually wear wear uh, uh, a, a suit, yeah, or a mask oh, a when they get, right, right. when they when they got into the workplace tend to actually uh, tend to actually not be as I would say successful as CEOs uh, because they're not genuine. People want first. People admire and look up to you as the CEO. So there are there are two facets. I would say uh, for a CEO, there is the facet of uh, the, the the individual that people sometimes do not know, and there is the other facet of the CEO that people interact with, etc. And I think it's very important for CEOs to be to to merge the two facets, uh, because how whoever you are, however you are, people in people look up to you because you are the leader you are basically someone that in a way even those who don't like you okay admire you in a yes. way uh, or criticize you so and that comes with the with the territory you have to be in my opinion and that's what i always try to do to be as to merge the two facets the personal mm-hmm. and the and the work for people to see the same person so if someone comes to you at work and will meet with you in your work environment, they are, they are used to a, a style. They are used to an mm-hmm. interaction, but then if they see you, for example, over the weekend, having coffee somewhere or out with your kids, etc., it's important to see the same person. It's important if they see you in a relaxed environment outside of work to see that actually he's our CEO, he's not someone else. Right. So, and this is where, when you bring these two dimensions together of your life, things you relax also at work because you're not playing your role. CEOs who actually put on a suit or a mask, in a way, in my opinion, do not tend to be as as successful. To do that, you have to be comfortable in your skin. Hmm. To do that, you have to understand that this is a journey, and you're not. Of course, we are. People look at us all the time. People interpret what we do all the time. People have all the time stories and interpretations and perceptions. But very importantly is for you to be accessible, to communicate, and for people to see that actually the principle, the values that drive you are the same. Those who drive the actual person. Okay, and not and not and, and not very different you know there is this thing about uh, you see someone driving a car and sometimes people when they get behind the wheel they become different yes. they become nervous or they become whatever or they shout or they curse yeah. uh, and you see what happened what happened why is it that you are this way behind the wheel okay obviously they're stressed in in a way that like something that stresses them and brings, brings that aspect of them. It's the same when you are in your work environment as a CEO. You cannot be stressed. You cannot be, if there's something that actually makes you uncomfortable, deal with it and let people see the real person. Let people see who you really are. No one is perfect. Don't try to put on a perfect image. No one is perfect. People want to see the vulnerabilities in us because this is how we build trust. People always want to know they meet you as a CEO or they see you as a CEO, but they want to meet the individual. They want yes. to meet the person. And I think this is something that is extremely important.
0: Yeah, it's being authentic. You know, if to summarize in one single word is being authentic because people are waiting for people to be human. CEOs being humans and be authentic and be genuine and not being, you know, a fabricated, you know, image yes. of something there. So it's a great, sorry, you were saying that there. It's a great lesson. No.
1: I think you asked about what people don't know about the life of a CEO. And I think people see what the CEO can do. They cannot see the limitations that the CEO has. And those limitations are great because they are in a context of what's asked of you, what's required. So it's very important to be able to bring this. When you are a CEO of an organization, whether it's a 50-people organization or 50,000-people organization in my case, you are someone that naturally have I would say a very wide range of of capabilities yes you have to be able to actually use that range of capabilities, not to only go back to the default setting but actually go into the depth of your capabilities you cannot uh, you cannot portray to people the limitations that you have, but you shouldn't hide them. You shouldn't be driven by your limitations. You should be driven by what can be done and try to work on basically uh, overcoming the limitations that you have. And at the same time, it's not because you can do something that you should be doing it. Your, so, so basically, how do, we, how do you balance that is very important. People sometimes don't see the, 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 the challenge that is represented between what can be done and what cannot be done because people, people come to you for answers. And it's very important that when people meet with you, they actually also be part of the conversation, uh, and always try to get actually get people to engage in the conversation and finding the solutions together rather than telling them what needs to be done.
0: Yeah, that's brilliant. That's brilliant sharing. So, uh, Alain, last question I have for you because conscious about the time is, if I need to summarize one thing, one learning in your whole career, what do you think? Yes. You know what? what you, re- you think you really learn that could be shared? needs to be shared with other people today in the audience. Be the biggest learning. I would say, give time to time. Okay, expand a bit we more. Live,
1: I think we live our we live our life, uh, kind of you know uh, hustling, and we're in a hurry, and you want to achieve, and you want to do, and that's all. That's all uh, fine. We have I think we, ha, we 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 really have to appreciate, and that's my learning, the, the importance of the time factor in what we do and how time helps things mature, solve problems, yes. sometimes create others. But when you are conscious of the time element, you are able to actually master the time contribution to actually what's happening around you. And this is something that uh, I have uh, encountered very early in my career. I heard someone saying it, and it stayed with me. It resonated so much with me. And, I, and as I evolved in life, I, I, I really saw the importance of giving time to time. Time is your biggest ally, ally uh, except when you waste it. So giving time to time, it doesn't mean sitting, sitting idle and doing nothing. But it means being conscious of the contribution that time brings to uh, to your journey.
0: Yeah, that is what a wonderful wisdom, you know, for uh, for ending our episode. I would like to ask you more other question, but time is at the moment. Unfortunately, <laughs> we are a little bit more restricted on that on the console of time. <laughs> Leave the time to time, and so where people should go and to get to know a little bit more about you, if they want to get in contact with you. What is the best? Platform for you,
1: so I think LinkedIn is is the best platform. As you said, I was very active, and I have to thank my communication team, my ex communication team at the time, that actually was 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 doing a brilliant job. Uh, Math has great people, and I was very honored to be uh, to be part of that organization. Uh, I haven't been very active recently because I felt that I should observe a period of uh a transition. Uh, uh, there. And I also wanted, uh, as you, you asked me offline, I, I wanted to take some time off. So I've been very fortunate to be able to take a few months off, reflect and, and enjoy also, uh, uh, giving more time to, to myself and, and, and my family. So I think the best way to, to communicate is through LinkedIn because I continue to monitor, uh, LinkedIn. I continue to be, uh, to be, to be there, uh, quite often. So I would say, I would say LinkedIn
0: that's that's brilliant and we also have the same passion for a billy a be bit connoisseur i suppose of the italian uh, landscape and the opportunity that is there, there. so i know that you're an italian Absolutely. he's a fan of italian italian for, Big time. for yeah for italy well great so alan what i can say what i just say is thank you so much for being at the show today it's great. I, I really love the granularity of your consideration, observation. It says a lot about the depth of your thinking and the depth of your intervention. So the only thing I can say, I wish you good luck for the next step. I'm sure it would be an amazing opportunity to have you you know, somewhere else in the future, hopefully very soon.
1: Thank you, Andrea. It has been a pleasure uh, being with you and thank you for hosting